To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a nature show host. In the native habitat of a suburban driveway, the poor victim of a broken windshield is left assessing his vehicle utterly helpless. Well, not true. If he's got GEICO, he can file a claim online, over the phone, or with his handy mobile app. But like a lone gazelle, he'll suddenly be left to fend for himself, awaiting his terrible fate. Nope. GEICO will assign him a designated claims team to help him out, too. So the gazelle gets his car fixed and everything. Wow. Nature is so cool. GEICO. Great service, without all the drama. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Chris D'Souza, who is the Director of Business Consulting at CGI. And it's testament to the relationships that this podcast allows me to, to build. But myself and Chris have spoken about doing this for a couple of years, I think now. Um, Chris, obviously something got in the way. Uh, <laughs> but I'm really pleased we're, we're able to do this. Thanks very much. Hi, Martin. Yeah, delighted to, to be able to join you. We did start talking about you coming on, didn't we? I know we met in um, London. Goodness um, me, it was, I reckon it was about three years ago, maybe yeah. two or three years ago, we thought we talked about this. And then, as you say, there's something occurred in 2020, <laughs> which sort of put put pay to that. But um, yeah, I'm absolutely delighted to be able to, to join you and uh, talk about stuff that's really close to my heart, you know, like the contact centre world. Yes, well, it's, it's obvious from anyone that knows you and sees how you show up on um, LinkedIn, you're evangelical about our industry and the and the good that's in it. So perfect for um, get out of rap. But let's take you right back then. Where where did where did the journey start for you, Chris? I fell into contact centres and customer service, I suppose, back in I think I was a twenty six year old naive chap um, up in Manchester, and I joined a company called Baines and Ernst, which was a financial management company. There was about eight or nine people in the business and it was it was a tiny little operation not really sure we or anyone really knew where it was going but proper baptism of fire martin um we grew that business from the eight or nine people as i say when, when i joined to two thousand people in two years so wow. i gained my entrepreneurial stripes shall we say when uh, when i when i worked there so i looked after the back end of the business operationally customer service um, and things like paralegal and did a bit of IT as well, which is where I really got that sort of knowledge about how phone systems and uh, telephony really work. Um, from there, I moved to South Africa. I worked in a set up a contact center there, which was an outbound sales contact center. Again, hugely fascinating seeing a different culture and how um, a business can evolve with you know different people and contact centers over in south africa were you know that's what i say contact centers i mean outsourced contact centers over there were essentially non-existent so obviously they had their own internal ones so we came over there and we sort of showed what a new industry could look like and i think as they say the rest is history with many operations um over there um, and from there, came back to the UK. I found a little bit dangerous over in South Africa, if I'm honest with you. Um, came back over here, uh, moved to London, uh, worked um, essentially for the next few years looking at ground transportation. So working in the um, minicab um, industry, looking after their customer service for um, Alison Lee. And then I moved to um, look after Boris Bikes, which was an amazing experience working with uh, Transport for London and 
working with uh, uh, what was a really iconic um, line of business. You know, everybody knows the Boris bikes and it was fun. And one of the things I suppose that we, we really did there was, and I said to the guys, look, you know, this is, we're, we're, not, we're not selling life insurance. We're not, this, we, yes, it's an important job to do. We need to look after our customers. It is transport for London after all. However, you know, it's a fun thing and let's treat it like a fun thing. So, you know, we developed an amazing team there. Um, and, you know, it, it was a testament to the achievements we got. We top performing contact centre for a number of years. Um, for Transport for London. We got ourselves in the top 50 contact centres. But the thing that I'm probably most proud of um, of that team was the engagement that we had. So we went from perhaps not the best place when I joined to um, the top, again, the top performing, uh, most engaged team for Serco, which was the company that operated the, the Boris bikes. Um, they had 130,000 employees across the globe. And our little operation, um, you know, performed the best but that was again that was down to the people the attitude that we that we instilled you know absolutely phenomenal um, and then um, moving into real corporate territory with MasterCard you know start developing a global reach working across a number of different lines of business met some great folks there as well um, and then now I find myself probably the job which I'm saying to people, the job I've probably worked for my entire career um, is working at CGI, which gives me, I think, an opportunity not only to sort of do what I'm paid to do is sort of contact centre consultancy, but also work with folks and contact centres to try and shape our industry and um, really understand where we're going. And that's something which I am so, you know, so passionate about, as you said in, in the introduction, you know, contact centres, Sometimes people say, how can you be so excited about contact centres, Chris? You know, my uncle, he still, he still says to me, when am I going to get a proper job? Um, but I absolutely love it. And I think, you know, the, the, the backbone to our, what we do in this country is all around customer service, great customer experience. If we get that right, you know, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a golden opportunity. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's me potted history there, Martin. There is so much that what a storied career. Um, there's so much to love about that. Uh, there's a couple of things I just wanted to um, ask you about, actually. So that kind of, you know, right back with Baines and Ernst, that kind of phenomenal growth in a very short period, kind of like hold on tight, right? Kind of hands. What, what did that teach you? What would you say to people who might be listening that are either going to be stewarding that or just within a company that goes through that much growth what's the the good the bad and the ugly the, the hard part is resilience because you are as you say you're hanging on by the seat of your pants um particularly when you're getting into management you're growing that fast where you're sailing into real un uncharted territory and that's what we were doing you know the financial management industry was very much in its infancy when when i was there and you know, regulation, there wasn't any, um, and we were operating the business. You know, we'd, we'd come up with ideas, let's go and do it. So things like governance were kind of not so much. It's <laughs> probably the best way to put it. Um, but then you start thinking about it. You're dealing with your consumers' money, and as we grew, as we got bigger, people started to notice you as a as a as a business. And you know, we ended up on Watchdog, you know, and 
it was again that was a, a baptism of fire because whilst we were convinced and happy that we hadn't done anything wrong you know it's a story it was out there now interestingly enough watchdog played the our television adverts at prime time on bbc television and we made a lot of um, new business off the back of people seeing that so but again you you have to learn fast and you know i i had to cut my teeth and start to try and learn resilience and you know arguably wasn't the best at it because I was a young chap at the time. You know, this is the first time I'm in business. I'm in a quasi-directorial role. And, you know, you've got to be able to think on your feet. And, and you know, it's, it's, like, it's like get stuff done and make decisions and not be afraid to make decisions, um, I think is the key message that I found there. But then, you know, from a satisfaction perspective, to see something which you've got your hand in and actually grow and see it from, remember the days when, you know, I sat in that little room with eight other people to having two sites, you know, two big buildings with a real, and we created a buzz within that organisation. So it was phenomenally exciting. Yeah, I love that. So lots of, lots of positives. But yeah, as you say, it was that roller coaster and you couldn't put your hands out to wave because you were <laughs> hanging on for dear life. Yeah. And then... Quite early on, I guess, um, exposure to working in a in a different culture, and you know, I think people know this by now. Um, I I did that, and it it made me. I would say it probably had the biggest impact on my career. Working in a in a foreign land, learning everything, kind of getting involved. What what was in if you can sort of summarize it that like for somebody still you know early on in their career when you went to South Africa. I think I learned so much about people and also see the South African culture when I was over there was probably what I would suggest what we were like a few years ago, that sort of respect, you know, the agents would call me, sir. And I said, no, it's Chris. It's Chris. Don't worry. You know, sir. And, you know, there, there was that sort of very much sort of um, hierarchical, formal. formal way of, of, um, of talking to you. But, and at the same time, of course, remember South Africa was not long out of, it's yeah. coming out of apartheid, you know, it was only, you know, five or six years, I think, when, when I was there. So, you know, there was still that slight uneasiness. And as you sort of bringing people together, um, it, it was it was challenging. And of course, you've got the rules that the government were bringing in and were changing continuously about the order in which you could employ people, for example. So it was again, you, but you've, it's not so much the specifics to that, but again, it's learning to deal with yourself, learning to you know, pick up on challenges and work through challenges um, in an environment which is, which is different to what you're used to. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it was great, but, but difficult. You have, there's been some, it's kind of like some great chapters in your, in your story, because then you go, and like you say, working with the iconic um the bikes within london and that just must have brought up all of its own own challenges as well was that the first public sort of sector role yes and it, and it was interesting because you know it, it had been set up with a lot of ideas about how to because because it's a public sector it was a public sector operation you know it was put into an area of london where there were some challenges as far as employment was concerned so they tried to sort of use that to leverage getting people back into work at the same time you know they getting good um a good operation up and running what had been a challenge for them 
But what you then recognise, and this is again where I've, I really was able to put one of my passions about, you know, employee engagement really into into play, was really trying to understand what the people who are working there wanted out of a job, right? So it's very easy, you know, we've all seen the stereotypical contact centre where someone's walking around with the, the sort of quasar stick saying, you know, work harder, you know, we've got calls waiting, etc. Well, you know, actually that's not what motivates people, um, you know, and we're trying to recognise the specific people who were working in that context center. And of course, everybody's different. Everyone's got different things in their lives, which they're trying to work through. Um, getting those guys to, what, what was the touch points for individuals to want to deliver the kind of service that we, um, that we really wanted to give. And, you know, I always remember sitting there when I, when I first joined the business, they had, you know, you get in, in large companies, you get these strap lines you know and one of them which i forget the rest of it if i'm honest with you one of them was foster an entrepreneurial spirit and that was put everywhere around our, around our contact center and i remember looking at that one day and I said, what does that actually mean to a contact center agent you know you come into work you're going to deal with people and bear in mind people are not calling contact centers because they want to tell you what a lovely day they've had what a fabulous yeah. ride around Hyde Park right they're, yeah. they're calling because something's wrong something's annoyed them um and, and, and they want to and they want to let off steam and 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 have something dealt with and then telling the agents you need to have a an entrepreneurial spirit just doesn't resonate with anyone frankly well isn't it funny you've made such a good point because if you try and it, it doesn't add up to how their life goes or how the work is i mean so it's kind of like have an entrepreneurial spirit but if you're one minute late back from your yeah. toilet break you're gonna be you know we're we're, we're we're watching you and i'm sure things have you know that i know things have changed but it's a really good point to say the kind of values and the things that mean something to your team don't necessarily there's a disconnect there isn't there between yeah. kind of have this entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit but you are so unfortunately your role is very very scrutinized so and and defined you know quite narrow parameters isn't it well that, that was the interesting part you see is because and again there, there was a I'll get I'll get some of the numbers wrong here because it, it was a little while ago. But there was a there was a uh, one of the processes that was involved in that contact centre was people would call up because they had made a payment on one of the the terminals and they needed a um, a refund because something hadn't quite worked out. Fair enough. And the the process was that the person who took the call would then fill out some kind of form and it went off to another person it went off to another person and eventually the one pound that needed to be refunded was sent back and i kind of costed it out as to how much i felt that was costing the business and it was a lot of money right but more importantly i thought about the message it was saying to the agent who was talking to that customer right essentially if I strip that all the way back, what we're really saying is we don't trust you with a pound, right? And yeah. you know, what could possibly go wrong is the answer to that, you know. So, so, so I looked at that and, and, we, and we talked it through. We looked at the processes and thought, yeah, okay, you do the, the risk assessment on, on all these things. And you, I said, look, let's just give everyone a, a floor limit, so to speak, as to what you can and can't refund. And we did that. But, you know, the impact that had on the motivation and the engagement is by saying, look, guys, 
get on with it. Trust you. Why, why do I need you to process a pound in such a way? You know, and and that was kind of the thing that we did throughout that um, throughout the life of that operation, is trust our agents, trust the people are working, you know, colleagues actually. Let's call them agents, our colleagues, yeah. and you know, get them involved in the business. I'll give you another example of what we did there. We looked at at um, you know when important people came to visit us. Right, so we could have directors, we could have people quite high up in, in, in Transport for London. And I said, and I said what if? Because what normally happens is when, when these people turn up, you know, if we're not repainting the office, I'm joking, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, 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 you know, all the big wigs turn up, we all put our suits on and our ties and we walk around and show you all the best bits, don't we? And I said, well, actually, let's get our agents involved. And we had like a little bit of a rotor. And, and I said, Look, who wants to show this person around? You know, and we won't come with you as as managers, right? You you go and you show us what you want in that contact centre, and that's what we did, and people loved that. You know, they were getting involved in a little bit of the management. They were they were showing that they were important and they were as important as anybody else. So it was little things like that which empowered and and, and drove that engagement up. Um, and hey, guess what happened? they started doing amazing customer service, right? So I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's kind of this, the whole point of empowerment and there's a common thread to, sorry about that as well. I just had to let my dog, my dog out. He was going to chew through wires that might've stopped our um, recording. Um, but it's about empowerment and it's about, um, you mentioned something earlier, taking the time and putting in the work to get to know your team. Yeah. And, and appreciating, guess what? They are smart people. And um, if you empower them and trust them, you know, that what a powerful story as well. One, they're not trusted with a pound. <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing about our industry, if you think about it, is, and I think it's probably, it's, again, I've not worked in other industries, but I figure that our industry is quite unique in the, the way that we get to be managers and we get to be leaders because most of us and most people I talk to who are in leadership positions in the contact centre world have started at the agent level or started somewhere around at that level and have yeah. worked their way up. And, you know, from a career perspective, if you want to do that, and you want to d develop a good career in customer experience, customer service, whatever we choose to call it. I think that, that I think there's something quite unique about our world. 100%. And, you know, we and because the people who generally are leading contact centers have got the battle scars, mm. you know, we we can empathize, but it's important we then choose to empathize mm. and not forget that journey that we've taken to get to where we are. You know, really important that I think in my in my mind. Hundred percent agree, massively so because it's often you can see, can't you? Sometimes people that have gone up through um, through the ranks actually do forget and do and do still enforce some weirdly draconian type type rules when allow your team to flourish and see what's possible because we should have more of us that have kind of gone through the ranks it always seems to me that that's a fundamental message that we don't always preach enough of that that for agents you can be saying your career starts here yeah this this is it this is the start of what could be a fantastic career don't don't necessarily think about the day-to-day -day. do your best at it excel at it but 
this is the starting point. You could go this direction, that direction. You could go anywhere. It's, it's quicker than you would do in another industry. It's a massive, massive positive for us, but we still don't push it enough, I don't think. Yeah, I was. I mean, again, back in back in the in the in the cycle higher days, you know, I, I was thinking once about what you know, because again, we have this thing, don't we? We want people to do well. And you try and figure out what's the thing that's going to motivate folks to do it, right? And and again, I, I'm putting that idea of career right at the front of mind, and you know, we 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 would fluctuate the numbers that we would have. We'd always take an extra bunch of folks on for the summer because obviously summer more people are cycling, more calls, yeah. right? lots of tourists so you know we put an advert out there and we get lots of cvs and i started looking when i looked at the cvs there was a particular operation which i shan't name um where they, they weren't treated right and the, the, that contact center wasn't particularly good therefore the agents weren't um they weren't customer focused enough for what i was looking for so when i looked at the cv if they had that contact center on it i would essentially automatically discount them but then I thought, what about if we flip that on its head, right? And we say, if you, if, if I got a, C, a CV with a particular contact center or a particular operation, I'm more likely to want to those agents to work for me. I thought, well, that's what we create with our contact center at, at Cycle Hire. So essentially, that's the message that I put out there for our for our guys, right? Let's let's develop this into an award winning you know stay our best practice contact center so that when if you decide that you wanted to move on people will look at your cv and go oh you worked there i know you yeah, there's something yeah. special about you right yeah uh, funny enough people didn't want to leave <laughs> when we got to that point so i mean one of the things which i'm really really proud of is you know in a, in a kind of strange ways that we were we were given lots of notice that our contact center was going to close and um, they were going to you know for financial reasons it was going to move to to scotland and we were given around about a year's notice that that was going to occur but the pride that the team had that nobody left you know that wow. the last day was essentially all the people that were there when we were told we were going to close mm. you know so it's that kind of stuff which you know you've done something right yeah um, when you get that i mean also even the stuff that you know you talk about measuring people and sort of watching them closely it always, I scratch my head sometimes when I think about the the things that we deem as important as contact centre leaders. You know, you think about the the first thing that people ask when you walk in with what was what was the uh, the service level yesterday? Mm. Well, eighty twenty. Oh, did oh, why did we? And I think, well, why do we ask that as our first question? Right? Yeah. yeah. Why do we ask? How were our customers? How did how did we do dealing with our customers? How did we do giving them excellent service yesterday? Like, that should be the measurement, surely. That's mm. more important that whether or not we hit that 80-20. And let's face it, there's so many businesses, particularly through the pandemic, that came nowhere close to it, right? But they still ask that question and they still panic and put that justification up the line to say, we didn't hit that number because of this and this. And we had this much, this many calls over-delivered, blah, blah, blah. And you go, that's not what we worry about. You know, I, I we we're so, we are so similar because um, there's a, a couple of contact centres I worked in where um, the some of the directors were like a force of nature. They would just like charge across the contact centre sort of floor, and invariably would shout over something about uh, a KPI. And um, 
you know, I, I was more interested in my people and how the calls were going, what we were, how people were feeling, both our teams and the customers. And yeah, fine, you can have that wrapped up in numbers, but some of the more traditional stats, let's say, such as service level, I paid them a cursory glance, but it wasn't, they weren't things that were top of my mind. And um, I found myself a couple of times just shouting out a number that I knew was acceptable. <laughs> and that ended up with a thumbs up and the person kind of carried on. And um, once as well, we just thought we'd, I don't know if I should be admitting this, but once we thought we would test something and it was about a plasma that sat outside one of our um, director's offices who he was obsessed with availability and colors and he knew uh, what's you know green and then uh, i think it was orange were good because it, there were people available but there were also lots of people talking we had, when we had a particularly nice moment we did a screenshot and just stuck that up on the <laughs> brilliant <laughs> stuck that on the plasma for the day because we knew what we were doing you know we 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 had a good team and like you um the buzz, if you want to say in inverted commas, it's a phrase you mentioned a few times. It's so important, isn't it? Yeah. And that's and that I think is really it's interesting as to where we go now, because obviously we've got a lot of people in our industry working from home. We mm. talk a lot at the moment about hybrid working and this idea that a contact centre is going to be at least some of the time people working from home. And I, and I kind of think about the practicalities behind that, because, for, I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, most people have taken their tower and their screen and their keyboards on a, on a taxi or in the bus home, and what are they going to bring that back? Or are they going to backwards and forwards with it? Are we going to give them all laptops? You then have to think about the you know, connectivity to systems. Domestic broadband isn't the same as the broadband we get or the connectivity we get in an office. But I think equally there's that buzz that we've just spoken about, the engagement that you have, the, the social element. People who work in contact centres are social animals, I think it's fair to say. We thrive yeah. off that, you know, interaction mm -hmm. with others, you know, and also the support side to it. You know, I said earlier that people don't generally phone contact centres because they just want to say what a lovely day it is. There's, there's a problem often. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you've, if, depending on the business that you're working in, if you've come off a shift where, or you've got, you're going through the day and someone is, unfortunately, reality, people get abusive, people are not pleasant on the phones. Right. Who do you turn around to? Me, I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, <laughs> I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. McDonald's, I'm loving it. To just offload or get that support. You know, well-being cannot underplay that in our industry. Cannot underplay it at all. You know, it goes with engagement. And we need to look after the, our agents. We need to make sure they're supported. And when we've, you know, when they're sitting at home and they and they might be sitting at their kitchen table, they might. I'm lucky. I've got my my office space which I've done out with screens and all this good stuff. But if you haven't got the luxury of that, and you're having to set your con your, your computer up on your 
kitchen table, work for a few hours, might be competing with other people working from home or, you know, you've got a dog, dog exactly, you know, whatever. You, 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 it, it's not easy. And I saw something in the one of the newspapers only this weekend where it's being suggested now that the that lovely veneer of homeworking is starting to wear off. And where we saw this, you know, peak in productivity shortly after everyone went home, that productivity is starting to wane a little. And so, our, you know, absence, <clears throat> sorry, absence and attrition stats are now starting to go back up. Yes. Mm. So, you know, with all that in mind, I do wonder whether we will end up hybrid working or whether we will at some stage migrate back to the contact centre environment. And let's face it, it's a great environment to be in. So, you know, I've, I, I, I kind of hope it does, but, you know, we'll see. I think that on the flip side, the, the hybrid working approach does open up opportunity for people who can't traditionally work in a contact centre or travel to an office. So if you're, you know, a parent who has to drop the kids at school, then come and do a few hours and then go and pick them up again or then work into the evening. You know, there's opportunity there. So I don't think it's a, a brush that we can paint across everything, but I'm not sure that this idea that we're going to not have contact centres anymore is realistic. I would agree. And I, I guess my hope is, because you're right, the working from home model allowed us to tap into a talent pool that probably felt marginalised and wasn't able to, to do this kind of work. Lots of different groups fall within that um, category, I think, and they've now been incorporated into our world and, uh, and we benefit as a result. Um, but like you, I'm fascinated actually by, there must be quite a high percentage now in our industry for the first time who have not experienced that. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> the, the thing that's probably is the most significant factor in me staying in this industry and yourself was that buzz, working in amongst lots of people, having a laugh, you know, feeling like you're committed and part of a team, the, the highs, the lows, who don't ha haven't had any experience of that. I'd love to know look at that in more detail how do you get the culture the business culture mm. you know if you've never there's people um who have joined businesses who have never even you know face to face met their managers they've never been to the the office which is fair enough we understand why that is mm. but i don't think it's a sustainable model mm. and where does that um where does being able to be there for the customer. When you think about the future and what's changing with employees, what's changing with technology, what's changing with customer behavior and where we are at with being able to deliver the kind of levels of exper customer experience and service that we all want to deliver, it, the future's exciting, but also there's lots of possibilities there as well. And I know it's something you have some views on in terms of how we should be set up as an industry, what we should be focusing on. Yeah, I do. I do. And, and, and it worries me sometimes about some of the things I hear. So, you know, ultimately, in my view, we are a business has a customer and we've got to put that customer right in the front of our minds because these ultimately are the people that pay our wages, right? 
The problem is, is that then we layer on top of all these ideas that seem to morph themselves to be and called something different every time we discuss it. So, you know, I remember not long ago, omni-channel was the thing. Then we started calling it multi-channel, which is the same as omni-channel. And then we have a thing called digital transformation, which for the life of me, I don't understand what's different from that to omni-channel at the start, right? Um, and, 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 and also, what I think about a lot at the moment is... Whilst we go down that route, and I've heard folks talking about call deflection, which is a, a term I fundamentally disagree with, because I think if you're going to start talking call deflection, I can do that really easily. We'll just put a message on the IVR to say, sorry, we don't want to talk to you. Please go on our website. That that will deflect all your calls, right? And it'll yeah, have much the job same. Done. <laughs> job done. Yeah. Um, what we've got, to, what I think we have to do is think about the customer, but and at the same time look at all the different channels. And yes, quite right, there are different people who like to use different channels. We've got choice, but the key word there is choice, rather than this idea where we're driving people down a particular route because that suits us from a financial or or, or company basis right and it and it was interesting that um i, I put a post on linkedin and to talk, i just kind of mentioned this as a as an idea as a concept and i got somebody who's quite famous in the 70s and 80s actually he was a dj on on capital and radio one and he responded back and, and he was quite cutting about about the the whole contact center customer service industry and he said something along the lines that what people want is what they wanted 50 years ago which was when they have a, a problem they can call someone up and that person knows what they're talking about and gives them the answer and they don't have to sit on the waiting for someone to answer which from a conceptual perspective he's right actually you know yeah and <laughs> You know, there was a, a study that BT did um, not that long ago where 77% of people said they would like a phone number to be front and centre on websites and on, on the app. And the, the majority of people that are calling, actually, we all think it's the old older generation that uses this. 24 to 35 is the highest number, the highest demographic of people who actually call contact centres. We've got this idea that, oh, yeah, everyone's gone onto social media and, and people don't. Yes, people do use social media to complain. And is that because we've left them no other option? So they get to the point of making that complaint because they're frustrated and that's the only avenue. So they see it as an opportunity to shout about an issue that's occurred. But why do we want them to get to that point? My view is let's deal with the, the 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 problem if someone wants to use live chat let's make sure it works if they want to use self-service within the ivr let's make sure it works if they want to call and i and i and i would suggest that if you have your other channels that work efficiently that you don't phone up you know we've, we've all got the we could all imagine the the ivr voice recognition you know that you know i'd, I'd like to speak to martin um is, is that a Martian? No, Martin. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you start shouting at a, at a computer because it's not getting yeah. it. You know, if you're going to do that, make it work. And I chuckle with colleagues sometimes and I say to them, look, you know, again, I won't mention names, but it, 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 I, could, I could list some of these that have been implemented. And it's not only the fact they don't work. Someone sat there you know, in a in a operational management meeting, and they go, right, let's just see what we've built. We've tried it out. 
yeah, we'll sign that off. You know, it's that that'll do attitude, which I don't think fits within our industry. You know, do you think then is is it keep the customer front and center, and then give them choice, but then deliver the services simply? Yes. If the thing that you're doing works, you know, it's it will. You know, people either don't need to call you. Or, or if they, when they do call you, you provide them the service. You know, I mean, I, there's a, I, I, there's, there's a particular card that I use for um, when I go on holiday. Um, they don't have a call center, right? But I, I'm prepared to put all my holiday money on this particular card, and I'll trust it to go abroad. You know, and I've got two young children and a wife, and, and I've got to be able to feed them and pay the hotel bill, you know, without any any problems whatsoever. But I trust it because I know it works. They've built it so it works. Mm. So in the five or six years I've had this card, I've had no need to contact their customer service or, or mm. any kind of customer support from them. Um, so you've got some choices there yourself. Create your product so it works. Don't compromise on it. Therefore, people are, are satisfied. It's where we start building things that don't quite work, and we go, "All right, you know." Um, and then, when people need the support, we don't. It's not forthcoming, and and this trend of hiding phone numbers. It's, yeah, it just I don't I don't get it. No, and it doesn't. I don't. I think you're dead right in that we we should be harder on ourselves and scrutinize ourselves as an industry more so than people not within the industry. And for me, one of the litmus tests is like, I know personally, I've got to do something with my car insurance and even just thinking about it then to make this, to talk, to say that sentence kind of oh, just kind of, I sighed a bit because I know it's going to be a mental and verbal assault course it's gonna i'm i'm prepared you know my expectations are low i know my effort's going to be high and i and i think isn't that a shame that we can't um we have to kind of just for a moment put we can still reward each other and recognize really talented people and teams and but we need to put that aside and to say we must do but we must do better we we've got to yeah, and, and I think that the thing is, is that we are asking our customers to compromise too much, you know, and we shouldn't be doing that. You know, people, people's expectations sort of have, have kind of fallen, I think, over the years, particularly when, again, you get, there are some great, and don't get me wrong, Martin, there are some really, really good outsourced contact centers out there, um, you know, who do a really good job and have, have understood what it is to do good customer service. But then you've got some which have just been implemented because they're cheap. And some, again, someone's made that calculation to go, well, you know what, it's cheap to do this, so we'll, we're prepared to have this much complaint rate or, you know, essentially we're saying our customers are not as important as they think they are. Um, and it's not a difficult thing to do. That's the, that's the part which I find difficult to reconcile. You know, you can have a contact centre overseas, have a contact centre anywhere, really, and it can do a great job, but you've just got to want to that contact center to do a great job support it you know help the people that are working there treat them right you know all the things we've talked about already during you know during this conversation implement those wherever it is and but that that idea that putting your 
your customer first is the most important thing. Because off the back of that, everything else falls into place. You know, if you've got happy customers, you get less problems. You know, your happy customers is proven. AHT is lower, right? We proved that, you know, in spades but at, uh, at Cycle Hire. Um, you know, we, we made the agents really happy. We had things like music playing in the contact centre, believe it or not. You know, we, we um, did that empowerment. So the agents were happy. We did a whole load of stuff with the IVR messaging, etc., which made the customer happy. So two lots of happy people interacting. We took our AHT down, believe it or not, from about 12 minutes to about three and a half after yeah. that time, you know, mm-hmm. which then has a knock-on effect as to, you know, that uplift that we needed in the summer wasn't as much. Costs were control of themselves but it's it's just turning that all around and looking at the, the whole picture holistically rather than just going well you know what it costs us this much to run this contact center let's deflect some calls to save money what are your views on then you mentioned kind of um happy happy employees what part does their kind of well-being mental health play in that uh, it, it, it's absolutely key it's key to to your operation, um, and you know, I think we've where it's it's been a great thing over the last few years that the whole uh, topic of mental health, particularly, has come to the forefront. I am so happy that you know people no longer we're not there yet, right? But the idea now and the and the way society is is that we. We embrace people talking about mental health issues. We want to hear about it and we want to do something about it. It's no longer, um, it's becoming less of a stigma, shall we say. I don't, think, as I, say, I don't think we're there completely yet. But, you know, making sure that you recognise, you know, and I, th- and I think it comes actually from knowing your people, knowing who you're working with. And I, again, I remember, always remember, um, I won't mention where this was, just from case anyone recognises the story, but... Um, there were, you know, you know when you walk into an office and people say, oh, you know, "Hi, how are you?" Yeah, great. You know, it's that sort of that superficial, you know, um, interaction. And I always remember this was this was just after the Christmas break, and I walked back into the office, and I always make an effort, always, you know, by this point, I was really making an effort to know everyone and move away from that superficial conversation, but into a meaningful one. And I and I spoke to this colleague. And that person said to me, I said, how are you? How was, how was New Year? Yeah, great, fine, you know. But because I knew that person, there was something not quite right. So I said, let's have a you know, chat. So tell me what happened. What was it really like? And I took the time to have a conversation about that person's experience, but in depth. And it turned out they'd had a really bad New Year. They were not in a great place. But then we could, you know, imp- you know, deploy the well-being policies and the people that we had on you know with on, on retainer to help that person but unless you have those conversations and you actually just that stop and really look into what's going on with 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 your team um you'll never know because people you know again at that superficial level will always just say yeah yeah I'm fine no because that 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 that's just the way that we we are is the way we do interact so yeah, well-being for me is you know again, it, it's almost another ticking another sort of element 
I was going to say tick in a box, but I don't mean that. Um, another another element in looking after your your team, engaging with your team, um, showing that you care, you know, that that they're important. And you know, I think there's so many people. I've been on the on the wrong end of that in you know very early on in 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 my career before before I went to Baines and Ernst. I worked for someone who was who was just not pleasant, and I know what effect that had on me. Mm. Um, I think negatively very negatively at the start once you start thinking about that effect and how you as a leader can affect people and i will absolutely be honest i got i've got that wrong in the past i know i have and you know there's there's a lot of stuff i will regret you know in the way that i've managed folks but i've learned from it and i think where i am certainly you know now having as i say had the battle scars and understanding what effect you as a leader can have on on the people that you're working with um you've got the opportunity to make a real difference. But you've got to care, Martin. You've really got yeah. to care. I love that. I love that. And I, I think there's such a key message in what you said around going past the patterns of conversation so that um, you really can understand where, you're, where your team are at. And I think any if you're, if you're managing a team or you're managing team leaders, if you haven't yet got it, build in the time into your week that allows you to just sit with a team leader and say, tell me about the people in your team. Not not necessarily, I don't want to be bombarded with stats. I just want to know, how is Chris? How is Martin? Yeah. Tell me Tell me where they're at. Tell me what's going on. And if there's a gap there that your team leader can't do that, then you need to support them them and the environment to ensure that they can spend the time to understand how people are what they're doing and it some weeks it might be a curse it might genuinely be yeah yeah all, all's good other other weeks it might not but at least you have the routines in place that give you the time and space to to do that right think about the number of times that as um, a leader one has you have a one-to-one -one booked right and then the one-to-one -one gets cancelled or moved because something else has come along. Right. Think of the message that sends to the person whose one-to-one -one it is, because yeah. that one-to-one -one is their special time. If you've got it right and if you've positioned it correctly, that one-to-one -one is that special time, the time for which it's solely about them and it's about them and the company and you. And then something more important comes along and you move it. That message is completely incorrect. And again, didn't always get that right. But in recent years, if I put a one-to-one -one in, it's got to be critical, absolutely mm. critical for that one-to-one -one not to occur when we said we were going to do it, you know. And that's, that's a simple thing. You might think that's obvious. But, you know, folks who are listening to this, ask yourself that question. How many times do I move a one-to-one, -one, you know, and what, a, what impact does that have? It's a fantastic question because, anecdotally, I speak to, as I'm sure you do as well, I speak to lots of people in the industry. And the first few things that are thrown out when the chips are down and sometimes becomes very, very common, coaching sessions, feedback, one-to-ones, all gone instantly mm. because of call volumes. And then that, that just becomes the norm, you know? So then the moment you've missed a few, how effective is the next one, when you do get together, far less effective. You've got loads to catch up on. Things are out of date. You feel rushed. And I do wonder, it would be great 
we survey our industry a lot, don't we? But I do, I do wonder the actual level, hand on heart, the contact centres that can say it's a three line whip. We never cancel a one to one or a coaching session. They're sacrosanct. They won't move. Yeah. Versus, oh yeah, they get cancelled all, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> And I, 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 and I think we both know which yeah. uh, which one's going to win. I know, that one. Yeah, I know where yeah. my money might be. Yeah. Um, but we've got to do something about that. I mean, we've got to do something about that. It's how do we how do we ask people to deliver their best, like you say, for the customer when we don't commit to their development and um, their progression and their well being. Yeah, and and I suppose the attitude we took at Cycle Hire and. Um, particularly was that you know you've got customer engagement is what we talk about a lot but you've got colleague engagement i think as is as important and you know one drives the other if you think about it um you know you show that you care about the people that are delivering the service they'll care back you know it really is a two-way street you know yes of course there are exceptions to that rule occasionally but in the main people who are highly engaged people who are bought into the into the into what you're trying to do and the 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 message you're trying to send if you if that, that'll deliver it in spades and i've seen that you know and also you know when you're not engaged with something personally speaking i you know there'll be times when you know in my career where i'm just not engaged with it i don't feel it and you know what your how your mind works you know you, yeah. you're not thinking about you're thinking of oh that person, that way that person just spoken to me, or that way that but that's where your 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 mind wanders off to. Mm. So, yeah, you know, it's as leaders within the contact center industry, and I don't I mean, by leaders, I mean anyone. You know, all of us have got yeah. to really think carefully about about this because you know again, it, 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 everything dovetails each other. We talked about well-being, we talked about mental health. You know, all have got an effect on each other, and you know. I, I firmly believe, simply because I've seen it, that get it right, and that your contact center operation can be the best place in the world, you know. And I've seen it, I've lived it, and your customers experience it as well. You know, it's it's just a well-rounded thing that that that's you can be proud of. And you know, when I look back at some of the stuff that I've been privileged to have been part of and you know I just think wow there's a story to tell you know and um, I just uh, sometimes when I see some of the stuff that, that goes on in our industry I just think how how why because we can do so much better and it's not hard to get it's well, I think this this for me has kind of been really energizing and motivational to um, hear from you Chris and we definitely have to do it again. Um, this, we only touched on so many different topics, but it's not difficult to get that your centre, whether it's a hybrid, remote, all in, um, to be a an absolutely buzzing place, is it? No, it's not, and and it's fun. It's you know from a, a satisfaction perspective. I love going. I love going into into customer service operations. I love interacting with the people because they're a certain type of person as well, aren't they? They're they're yeah. out there, you know. And I've met some proper characters over the years, um, and you just go, wow, you know, 
all the stuff we've done. And that, I, I said to you when we when we spoke a few weeks ago, Martin. I reckon there's a book somewhere. You know, maybe yeah. we should all collaborate. You know, the contact center story or something like that. Because yeah. you know, it's really interesting. But and people don't recognize it. I think people outside of the industry don't recognize the importance of it. Um, and I think even joining the industry, you know, as an agent. It's a good thing to do, actually. It opens up such huge career opportunity. You know, 100%. Getting yeah. yourself into a business. You might be interested in um, a particular industry. You know, Everyone's got a, a customer of some nature. Mm. So it's a good foot in the door in, in yeah. some respects to prove yourself. And, and I know lots and lots of people who started in the contact center world. You know, um, again, if I refer back to... Um, transport for London and the, the cycle hire. I know lots of people who started off in the contact center and moved into the operational side of things, into the uh, performance management side. There's a whole load of opportunity within organizations getting through the door. So, you know, it's something that people should consider and not see it as a, you know, a, a, a holding pattern before you do something else. More, more power to you, Chris. Thanks so much for, um, coming on and we can't go without you showing your your baseball cap yeah no just is just a little advert here um i don't know if everyone knows that martin does have a line of apparel for uh, the contact center industry so there we go and i'm sure Let's this will end up that. as a thumbnail somewhere but that's going to 100 percent. that's the one that's the image uh chris d'souza from cgi it's been lovely chatting to you i do genuinely feel motivated and positive about our industry you've got a, you you talk a lot of sense and um thanks very much for coming on absolute pleasure really enjoyed it thanks martin thank you mate do you know how many files your employees have uploaded downloaded emailed airdropped slacked or shared via google drive today a lot of that data has left your organization and you don't even know it visit code42.com to learn how insider prevents data exfiltration to show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a nature show host. In the native habitat of a suburban driveway, the poor victim of a broken windshield is left assessing his vehicle utterly helpless. Well, not true. If he's got GEICO, he can file a claim online, over the phone, or with his handy mobile app. But like a lone gazelle, he'll suddenly be left to fend for himself, awaiting his terrible fate. Nope. GEICO will assign him a designated claims team to help him out, too. So the gazelle gets his car fixed and everything. Wow. Nature is so cool. GEICO. Great service, without all the drama.